worship experience. And he said something like this, that uh, we're worshiping as if we're already in heaven. And obviously he, he observed that in light of the personal difficulties that he experienced as a Christian leader in his own country of China. Now, whether or not Yoon's assessment of the Western church is correct, or that's, that's not for me to say. But uh, I think there is wisdom in his observation. And that's that we've, we've still got work to do in the kingdom. We're not there yet. We're not yet in heaven and in glory. And this morning, I'd like to take us to this parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 19 that, that really portrays the issue that there's still work to be done in his kingdom. And the parable answers the question of how believers are to live as we await heaven uh, or await the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, more specifically, how are we to steward during this interim period? The year 2018 will commence in just a few hours. And we'll have another year, another opportunity to serve as managers, living as servants in the kingdom. And, and let me do say parenthetic, parenthetically, it has been a blessing for my family to be here at Faith Christian Fellowship. And thank you for the way you welcomed the Millers when we came in 2016 and for your hospitality. And uh, Stan, thank you for sharing some about uh, my ministry background. I worked in the missions department of this church for 13 years. So... A lot of my experiences have been in uh, missions and the opportunity and the privilege of engaging the nations who come to us as international students. So you'll see and hear some of that even in the sermon today and the illustrations do tend to be imbued with that theme of, of the nations and tremendous opportunities. And yes, uh, yeah, there are international students in Birmingham, of course, but uh, the Mid-Atlantic is, is maybe the most strategic place in the world. For ISM, when we talk about New York and D.C. and Philly and Baltimore and the I-95 corridor and just the number of students and scholars and tens of thousands that are up here, so that's, that's a key reason that we, we did relocate to this, this region, and Johns Hopkins is a, a great example, just one example of that, thousands of internationals. So. Uh, I like to use the parables when I teach and when I preach God's Word, and so let me read, this is God's Word, uh, Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to, into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a, you're a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping 
what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the miner from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he already has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. To better understand the parable, let's take a moment to look at the context in which Jesus spoke these words. He had just uh, finished visiting the home of a man named Zacchaeus, and you're probably familiar with that story. Let me just back up and read verse 9 and 10. After his encounter, or during this encounter, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. That's the house of Zacchaeus. Since he also is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. At this point in his ministry, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Uh, he's only 17 miles away, and it's at the end of his earthly journey. And his Jewish followers had already witnessed many, many miracles and great works on his part. And what's found in verse 11 is likely a Hebrew understanding of the coming of God's kingdom. Uh, most Jews at that time would have been thinking of the establishment of a visible, earthly Jewish kingdom that would involve overthrowing their Roman oppressors and that perhaps Jesus would restore Israel to its glory. Yet in the passage, a more important component of their view of the kingdom is seen, and that's the component of timing. Notice this, that they expected the coming of God's kingdom to happen very soon. And since Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, and he's close, it would, it would fit their expectations for the kingdom to be inaugurated right there in the holy city. So it's in this context of this view of this immediate coming of the kingdom that Jesus gives the parable. So in one sense, we can say that the parable is meant to refute his, uh, the people around him, the Jews, uh, their, their view of the coming of the kingdom. <clears throat> in the illustration, as, as we look to understand the parable a little bit, in this, this story, uh, ten of the servants are giving a mina. If we look a little closer, e each servant gets one mina. What is a mina? <laughs> a mina is a Greek coin. Okay, it, it was worth a lot, about three months' wages for a laborer. So when I, I'll keep referring to minas. Um, just think of a valuable coin when you, when you hear that word. In the parable... The nobleman, as can see, be seen in verse 12, the nobleman re represents the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who had already come, of course. And this is what we've been celebrating here at Faith, the advent, the coming of the Son of God. It's just the last few weeks that uh, Jesus came to earth to redeem sinners, taking on human flesh. But in the parable, we see where the nobleman is going to a far country. So that represents that he would be gone for a longer period of time. Remember in their day, travel took much longer than it does now, right? So we can think of that, that he's going to be gone for a period of time. 
And so the kingdom of God would not come in its fullest sense at that time. Uh, we think of Jesus as going to be crowned king, and then he will return. So the parable is speaking of this period in between the death and resurrection of Jesus and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse 15 tells us that the nobleman was made king and then returned home. Likewise, Jesus has gone to his father and been exalted. And as Brother Kevin already read this morning, Philippians 2, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Back to our context, it's in this interval period that believers have a chance to serve God before Jesus comes back. So the kingdom of God, we're talking about the kingdom this, this morning, and I noticed, interesting, that's going to be an emphasis, one of the Sunday class emphasis up in the coming weeks here. Um, had Jesus' kingdom come yet? At this point, when he's giving the story, had his kingdom come yet? You cannot. <laughs> it had, because remember in another place, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Uh, in Matthew, Jesus compares the kingdom, the kingdom to yeast that works its way through the dough. In other words, it's something that's growing and permeating. It's progressive. Uh, Jesus' kingdom comes in the sense that it changes people's lives and, and they serve him as their king. In, in that sense, Jesus' kingdom had already come. And it's here now, right? And we are working in his kingdom. Yet there's a future day coming when the kingdom will be consummated at the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. So, the occasion of Jesus giving this parable has to do with expectations of when the kingdom will come in this timing issue. But there's a central lesson in the parable that I want us to focus on this morning, and that's the issue of stewardship, of managing resources in this period before the consummation of the kingdom. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about this critical, the critical issue of management. The ten servants were each given a mina and were to engage in business in verse 13. They were engaged in business to make more money, apparently for their master. Uh, the first one, verse 17, he took his mina and earned ten more minas and was given authority over ten cities. Why was he given this authority? Well, he had been faithful. And then the second servant had one mina and earned five minas more, and that servant was given authority over five cities. So the, the servants are awarded proportionately according to their management of the resource that had been given to them, the return on investment that they had achieved, and the faithfulness which they had demonstrated. The one who earned the most was given responsibility for the most. Okay? But notice this when you look at the text. These, these two servants, uh, they were not given the cities to keep. They were to oversee the cities. Okay? The cities still belonged to the nobleman, the king. So the cities are to be overseen or to be managed. See, this is a stewardship parable. And we are living... We are living this kingdom that has come, this interim period, and in between the coming, two comings of a king. Uh, 2018, 
will be part of that if the king tarries or until he comes, right? So we manage our own minas in the kingdom, and uh, all such management involves expenditures, whether it's financial expenditures or some other material expenditure or energy or time. So this, this management issue is critical. God is interested in faithful stewards who will effectively manage that which has been entrusted to us. <clears throat> so, talk about managing minas in our context. H how does this apply to us? Well, we consider what we've been entrusted with. Faith Christian Fellowship as a church, or your, your leadership team, or, or committees and teams. What have you been given? What are your resources? Or think of it as, your, as a family, or as a married couple, if you're single, as an individual. What, what has God entrusted you with? Okay? So we're going to look at this three ways. And obviously, the, the first place is to start is with coins, because the parable's about coins. So let's, let's talk about money. We, we start there. We, we, we are to be faithful with the financial resources that, that we are overseeing. Followers of Jesus are to manage money, manage money well, use financial means for kingdom purposes. Uh, practically speaking, that, that's how we support the work of the church. You just gave to the church a few minutes ago. Uh, that's how we send missionaries, plant churches, and how we help the less privileged, the poor, how we extend relief and development-type ministries. We do this through giving of, of tithes and giving of offerings and partnerships with missionaries and mission organizations uh, or individual mercy efforts that you may employ. So wise and effective management of coins would really be the first point of, of application. But we can take that to a second arena. We can take that a little bit further and think about material resources, right? Coins are just a medium of exchange. We use our money and we purchase things, like maybe a home or a car or food or toys or whatever. Uh, maybe you rent the house you live in or lease your car. It, the principle is the same. Certainly those things can be managed in such a way to bring glory to God and to facilitate the building of God's kingdom, his, his spiritual rule in this realm, and, and towards Christ's global, global cause. As Stan mentioned, before I transitioned to ACMI in uh, 2014, and I was working on this church staff, uh, we were involved, my focus, I was an international pastor, reaching internationals in our area, including students and scholars. It was a very volunteer-intensive work. Church members that were giving of their time, and there were just, there were some tremendous examples of church people, not, not only in the international ministry, but using their house, using their home for kingdom purposes, whether it was housing missionaries, showing hospitality, hosting dinners where People would come in, or uh, students, and uh, hear the teaching of God's word and the communication of the gospel. And it was just really probably the highlight of my time in working in that ministry was observing the uh, how giving those volunteers were. In my my very last meeting with them, and I was saying goodbye to my ministry team, kind of my committee within the church, I I was moved to tears. <laughs> 
because I was just so moved at how much they would give of themselves. And, and not just using their home, but their cars and driving and serving and, and different things that, that they did. What, what has God entrusted you with materially? It matters, you know. It matters in our spiritual lives. If you have your Bible, flip back th three chapters to another stewardship parable. There's several, there's at least three stewardship parables in the New Testament. Luke chapter 16, this is the parable of the shrewd manager. I won't read the whole parable, but in, in verse 11, Jesus makes a very interesting statement. Well, first verse 10, he says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest as little is dishonest in much. Then verse 11, If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? I've looked at that passage before, and I think this unrighteous wealth basically means um, the world's wealth, or uh, basically material resources, uh, money, uh, possessions. And there's a clear connection here in, in this verse between worldly wealth and, and true riches, apparently are spiritual riches. Okay, so think about that and how you manage and steward these things, these material things that God has entrusted you with. And then a third area, if I can broaden, I know the parable's about coins, and we can transfer those as a medium exchange, but if I can broaden the circle a little bit, and can we talk about another area of, of resources, and that would be what I call talents and giftedness. Talents or giftedness. Um... You know, considering the whole of Scripture, I certainly think it's fair for us to think of these as resources that are available for kingdom building or God's glory. So here we're talking about those, those less tangible things. Uh, in my own spiritual journey, and again, this was years ago, I was reading this parable in Luke chapter 19 and uh, read it and was reflecting on it and journaling, and I, I listed out, uh, it was 10 resources that I had been entrusted with, okay, and that could be used for the work of the kingdom, I suppose. And several of those were intangible things, like experiences that God had allowed me. Okay, So in this arena, consider your spiritual gifts. And some of you are very bright. You're gifted intellectually. Uh, some of you are good speakers, or you're singing, or you're good at just serving and setting things up or tutoring and reading and listening to a child. Uh, think creatively about opportunities before you, uh, maybe specific relationships that you have, or a position of influence that the Lord may have afforded you. And the list goes on and on. This is not, these are just examples, not intended to be exhaustive. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of the heavenly lights. Several years ago, I was attending a conference in Atlanta. It was an, a conference for ethnic ministry in the U.S., reaching out to ethnic populations. And I ended up in a, a workshop or a session, and there was a couple from a PCA church, basically out in the suburbs of Atlanta, and they were sharing their story. Rel a couple probably in their 30s, and they had two or three children, I think. And um, they were talking about how they had moved out of their nicer house in the suburbs, and down to, uh, I believe it was the Buford Highway District, going out the northwest side of Atlanta, 
which had really grown in terms of ethnic populations, and they had moved into an apartment complex with a lot of Hispanics around. Basically, they had moved among another people group. And they had done this for kingdom impact. But I can remember sitting over on the edge of the room, and I was just so struck. It just seemed kind of radical to me. Because they had come from a certain, I, I'm just picturing a certain socioeconomic, and I'm, I'm familiar with the church, and the, a certain socioeconomic background, and they were down here doing this. And what they did is they rented a two-bedroom unit, and then the upstairs, that was really for their home, their family. That was their place. But the downstairs was dedicated for ministry to Hispanics in the area and, and in the neighborhood. And uh, they were doing um, tutoring, uh, help, helping these uh, Hispanic kids, I believe, with their schoolwork and tutoring that they were offering as a way of uh, building bridges and, and reaching out. Um, but uh, towards the end of the presentation, the, the couple was up there speaking, and the wife was speaking really about their key to success. And, and what was the key to success? And do you know what it was? It was their children. It was their kids who went out, just, you know, you see them out in the neighborhood running around or riding their bike or playing or whatever with the other neighborhood kids, the Hispanic children. And she said this, she said, our children are, were the ambassadors. Now, that's a creative use of resources, isn't it? <laughs> See, all of us have resources, and the question is, verse 13 again, are we going to do business in building the kingdom? That's the question. Uh, back to chapter 19, uh, verse 15. Uh, that, that's what the nobleman wanted to know, the king, when he returned. Uh, what had they gained by doing, doing business? So what I'd like to do is offer some principles of managing minas. Four principles that relate to uh, how, how do we manage uh, money or material goods or talents or a gift or a relationship. And the first principle would be this. Number one, work with what you have been given. Work with what you've been given. In Matthew 25, there's a very similar par parable that you may be familiar with. The parable of the talents. I don't think it's the same parable, but it's, it's close in a number of ways. And when the money is distributed to the servants in that case, when Jesus tells that parable, they are giving varying amounts of money. And it says, to each according to his ability. Okay? Not all of us are entrusted with the same amount, right? Possessions or abilities. It was the NBA slam dunk contest. You remember that one? I guess they still do it during the all-star time or middle of the season, the NBA. This one was about 20 years ago or so. And um, in the slam dunk contest, there's really no not real rules. I mean, you can travel the ball, you can do whatever, but basically you dunk and there's some kind of judging going on. Um, uh, and who was, who was the person a few decades ago that really made the dunk an art form? Before Michael Jordan, Dr. J, Julius Irving, nearby Philadelphia, 76ers, right? He made it an art form. But at this point, Dr. J was, had finished his professional career and was sitting over in the stands, but Michael Jordan was competing. And Michael had one dunk left. So he walks over to Dr. J over here in the stands and says, well, what do you think I should do? And do you know what Dr. J said to him? Just take off from the free throw line. Hey, 
not that easy to do. <laughs> to do a running long jump that's 13 feet with a ball in your hand, your tongue sticking out, <laughs> and put it in a cylinder that's 10 feet off the ground, it's not easy. Not everyone can take off from the free throw line, but you use what you've been entrusted with. The giftedness, the finances, the material resources, the talents. Uh, what, are, what are your minus? You know this, there are things you can do that Michael Jordan can't. Just doesn't involve a basketball, okay? <laughs> but do realize this, you've likely been given a good bit. Just think about, for example, your knowledge of the Bible or your knowledge of the Christian life. <clears throat> Again, during a Briarwood Church Missions Conference, we were uh, in a room about this size, um, maybe a little smaller than this, but a missionary was uh, giving a report. He had labored, been working in the stand countries of Central Asia, places like uh, Kyrgyzstan and uh, 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 Kazakhstan. There's, there's several of them. And this was about 10 years ago, but he was talking about what had been happening in recent years there in Central Asia. And the church was growing because there was, there was not much at all 20 years ago in the stand countries. But the church had been growing and exciting things were happening and God was clear at work and he was given, given his report. And there were about 80 people sitting in there uh, listening to the report. I was sitting towards the back. And this was not the Sunday School Teachers Club of Briarwood. These were just normal folks, 8-year-olds to 80-year-olds. And the missionary said this, he said, almost every person in this room has more spiritual knowledge than any pastor in Central Asia. Hmm. So uh, think, think, think on that one. Here's a second principle. Secondly, managing minus is a practical work. Managing minus is practical. See that phrase in verse 13 where the master told the servants to engage in business. The word that's behind that in the original language is pragma tesaste. Hear that? Pragma tesaste. Pragmatic. Practical. As, as we apply the parable to ourselves, or as you apply it as a church, Faith Christian Fellowship, uh, we need to think in practical ways. And uh, I, I'll tell you this, um, th th this, this principle can work a lot of ways, but there are certainly some examples of it around here and people serving in the saints, stewarding their time, uh, giving of themselves for kingdom purposes. I think of the youth group in particular, and the way my family's benefiting from that, but just a number of people, uh, laity, staff people that are giving um, to invest in the youth, in the, the teenagers and middle schoolers uh, from the church and from the community and the, the neighborhood. Um, another way, a practical way of managing minus would be through building of structures. Building of structures. Again, I heard of, this one was a number of years ago also, a missions report from a Korean missionary, a South Korean, I'm pretty sure. And he was talking about the great things that God was doing in North Korea. And they actually had favor with then-president Kim Jong-il himself. And they had been asked to build a university in Pyongyang. And it was getting near completion. I think this, this was about a decade ago, maybe a little bit less. It was getting near completion. It was, it was to be run by Christians. 
and it promised to be a place of real kingdom influence for these Christian managers. And, and he showed slides, he showed pictures of this construction, these gigantic buildings, and told of the upcoming opening of the University of Science and Technology in Pyongyang. And one of the saints there listening to the missionary uh, share said this, well, who's going to pay for this? And he responded that uh, the churches are paying for it. Now that's using material resources creatively. So I, you know, I had this illustration from several years ago, and I, when I was preparing for this message, I said, I need to look up to see what happened. And sure enough, I looked on Wikipedia, and, and it exists, and the, the building was completed. Uh, it opened in 2010, and I found an article that the university's president said, while the skills to be taught are technical in nature, the spirit underlying the historic venture is unabashedly Christian. North Korea, folks. And of course, there's the call for personal outreach and impacting and engaging others. One Bible scholar in commenting on this Luke 19 passage says this, that with the mina, each of these servants must do business. That's the point of the parable. Those who have heard the gospel must proclaim it. They must conduct themselves in such a manner that through their word and example, sinners are brought to the Lord. See, certainly that's the context here. Look back at Luke chapter 19. Look at the verse right before we've already read in verse 10. Uh, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus gives the parable in the context of his own mission of saving life. I recall the story of one who used her mind as wisely. This was a ministry volunteer in the church who had for years been reaching out to the international students and scholars and other internationals nearby. And it came the time for her funeral. And uh, so I was involved in administrating and leading that. And uh, there was a Chinese couple that had been impacted years before and had moved off to the northwestern part of the United States. And they sent an email in related to Miss Longshore and her, her, their impact, the Longshore's impact. And in that context, what they were effectively saying is if it were not for that, we may still be one of the lost ones, is the way they worded it. <clears throat> Let me give you a third parable, a third principle. Thirdly, fear paralyzes effective management of minas. Recall the response of the third servant. Verse 21, he took his mina and he hid it in a cloth because he was afraid. This recalls the person who's not willing to take risks. Uh, he or she lives in fear, is not wanting to step out in faith and use resources for the Lord. One Christian author, in commenting on the similar talents parable, remember Matthew 25, he put it this way, investment means risk. Investment means that growth is not immediate and requires patience and nerve. If we want to live in the fullness of the kingdom, we have to put ourselves at risk. The mistake that the servant with the one talent made is that he feared losing what he had and, he so, and so lost the opportunity to gain more. So as, as we look to make application, the question to ask ourselves is this, is managing my minus for the kingdom... And in doing this and making various expenditures, am I afraid of losing something? Is investment too risky? 
See, fear and inaction are the opposite of the faithful work demonstrated by the first two servants, and thus unfaithfulness. And what's the master's response to the third servant? Well, you can look there at verse 22 to 24. Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. Remember him? That, that's the guy in charge of ten cities. And the people standing around naturally didn't get that one, just like a lot of us would not get that one either. Okay? And they said in verse 25, Lord, he has ten minas. <laughs> They're basically saying, this is no fair. He doesn't need it. And then the king makes this interesting statement, verse 26. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It just sounds kind of odd to us. It, things are different in Jesus' economy. So, you servants of the king who are called to engage in business, be prepared that if you do business in the kingdom, your resources will grow. Spiritually and likely materially. So that you have more to manage faithfully. Is this the prosperity gospel? No. I'm just trying to preach the text. Okay. It's a call to manage minas faithfully. Which brings us to the fourth and last principle quickly. And I've, I've really already talked about that that's the principle of increased blessing. The principle of increased blessing. This idea of when you manage well, then you're entrusted with more. But remember, there's a corollary truth to that one. Because it was Jesus who said, to whom much is given, much is required. So uh, the parable ends with a note of judgment, verse 27. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This pictures the death sentence and pains of hell for those who reject Jesus, who don't want a king. I don't know who's all here today. It's this last day of the year. I know you're mostly saints and know Jesus. I don't know if everyone knows Jesus, but... Uh, if you don't, come to Jesus. Start the new year, or end this year with Jesus. Be willing to have a king. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, I invite you to receive him as your king so you can be a part of the kingdom and manage in the kingdom. Acknowledge your own sinfulness and you've been outside of the kingdom and that you need a Savior and embrace Jesus Christ by faith Put your trust in him, his death on the cross, to pay your sin penalty and what he did for you and to give you true life and meaning in life and abundant life. And if you're not sure about that, please talk to someone after the service or one of the, the leaders or a, a someone you know that knows Jesus or go to the intercessor room. You can talk to someone. Okay, takeaway. We need to wrap up here. What, what can we take away from this parable I would like to offer this. How about a management exercise? An assignment. And this is really a good time to do it because we're finishing up a year, right? Take some time to sit down, quiet place, unless you're with people doing this together. But uh, think through as a couple or as a single or with your family or maybe a church leadership team. Um, Think about uh, what you have been entrusted with. 
my list that I referred to earlier when I was reading this in my, my quiet time years ago and listed in my journal, my list included specifics like my education, my physical health, income, my wife, okay? Make that list and maybe think about the three categories. Start with the, the coins, the material, coins, money, and then material things that you're managing, okay? And then those less tangible things like your talents and your gifts and your opportunities. What about the ability to pray? Remember, if you know Jesus, you have a direct connection to the one who spoke galaxies into existence. And you can pray and ask God to move and to build his kingdom. And then uh, after you list these things, discuss among yourselves, you're, if you're doing this as a family or as a couple, uh, how, how can you use those resources towards extending God's kingdom among the peoples of the world or among your neighbors? And if you do participate in that exercise, can, can I just offer a hint? Okay, here's, here's a tip. It's not your stuff. And it's not my stuff either. This is one of the things a guy like me learned a few decades ago, but can afford to be reminded. All this stuff, the property and the automobile, the savings account balance, the toys, et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't belong to us. Just as in the parable at the end of verse 17, it's clear that the city still belonged to the, man, to the, the king, to the master. The faithful servants were merely managers. So we will leave here today, some will walk home, and some will get in your car. Okay, and you may say, well, I'm going out to my car. We, we all do that, but let's don't kid ourselves. If the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then certainly he owns your Chevy. <laughs> the, the Psalms declare the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So let's strive for a paradigm shift in which we see ourselves not as owners but as managers of income and savings and possessions and talents for that 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 is the reality managing mine is in the kingdom in 2018 and beyond until the kingdom is consummated and if you do engage in such management exercise or make that list or take steps towards managing minas wisely may god bless you as you seek to be faithful and it may be a set of you, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Please just help us, God, in our weaknesses. Please increase our vision and grant us faithfulness to serve you. And thank you for that privilege and opportunity. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen.